Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And uh, thank you for coming back to see us after all these weeks of absence. I appreciate that. Uh, our topic tonight is to deliver us from evil. This is one of the purposes of Jesus coming into the world. We've been doing a series of different things, looking at different reasons why he came. And this one seems in a way so basic to me that uh, really Bible study could be about nothing other than this. Is there really anything other than the Lord's effort to deliver us from evil? Uh, as is always the case with these different theologies, uh, there are rumors going around about what how that happens or happened and whether it's all done or not and so on. We'll be exploring that a little bit and just thinking about how it is that the Lord delivers us from evil and what he, what he had to do to be in a position to do that. You willing to join me in an opening prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we gather here together in your name. You are the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us. Please open our eyes, our minds, and our hearts, Lord, to you and to the message you have in your Word. Amen. Amen. Sending out love to those of you watching online, those on the phone, getting the audio and so on. It's a blessing to be back with you. It really is more my fault than yours, this, this absence, I have to admit. And um, so to deliver us from evil... Let's look in the Lord's Prayer where this phrase occurs. Seems like a good place to start, doesn't it? Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, the version of the prayer in Luke, <coughs> chapter 11 at the beginning there, where we see that this was something that uh, Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them. The beginning. The very beginning Luke of Luke 11. 11, yes. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So they see him praying, and they think, well, well teach us to pray. You know, John taught his disciples, why don't you teach us to pray? And so he said these familiar words. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. From the evil one. Yes, in the old King James, just deliver us from evil. I hope to get a chance a little bit later to talk about why it says the evil one in some translations and just evil in others. But they're very closely related idea. There's actually an ambiguity in the Greek uh, that the Greek neuter and masculine look identical in certain cases. And this is a case here where it looks identical. So it just says the evil fill in the blank. And it doesn't say whether it's the evil person or it's the evil thing, meaning just evilness. You know, that's the way Greek says an abstract noun. So there's been lots of debate through the centuries about whether it means the evil one, meaning the devil or something, or whether it means just evil in the abstract. Uh, those of you who are familiar with Swedenborg's concepts uh, know that he says that there's no difference really between those two, you know, uh, there's no separate 
devil like a Manichaean view of a devil that's equally powerful with God. Um, uh, devil is a term in scripture for the aggregate of hell or, or all, all evil. So it comes out to the same thing from this perspective. So deliver us from evil, uh, he says there. Now what interested me about that, just as a little side note uh, the other day when I was thinking about this, is that who was it who asked him to teach them to pray? It was his disciples, right? One of his disciples said, teach us to pray. Now, had his disciples been baptized? Yeah, they'd all, they'd all been baptized. John the Baptist came through and they'd all, they'd all been baptized. Jesus was baptized. All the disciples were baptized. There is this view among certain Christians that baptism... And you can see scriptural reasons why they think so. Uh, but from my point of view, it's an inaccurate understanding. It's not li- rightly dividing those scriptures. That baptism, the physical waters of baptism wash away your sins. Isn't it interesting to think that when you have these disciples who have been through baptism and they say, teach us to pray, and the Lord teaches them to pray, deliver us from evil. Now, why would he, if that doctrine were accurate and they'd already been delivered from evil, why would you need to pray that? You know, if baptism took care of it, why would that be in there? And isn't it the case? Look at verse 3 there. What does it say? It says daily, right? Mm-hmm. It's talking about daily bread and so on. It seems pretty clear that the Lord intended this prayer to be said every day. So every day we're supposed to say, deliver us from evil. That's, you know, if your sins were all washed away, what evil could you be talking about? What, what else could be your problem if your sins were, were washed away? Would it just mean someone else being evil to you? But that doesn't really make sense, does it? Let's read, um, oh, let's skip back to Matthew 15 for a second on that particular point where you have this magnificent teaching. It's so amazing to me. Matthew 15 uh, Let's start at verse 10 there, shall we? When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Yes, I think this speaks to the question. I know that's horrendous when other people do things to you and you can really be damaged by other people. They can do harm. That, that is part of what evil is. But he's saying... That doesn't defile you. You know, what defiles you is what comes out of yourself, not what comes from someone else. And then uh, look at verse 15. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth Come from the heart, mm. and they defile a man. What sort of things are you talking about there? For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, evil thoughts, murders, murders adulteries, adulteries, fornications, fornications thefts, thefts, false witness, false witness blasphemies. blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Mm. It's been very popular through the history of the human race to think of various different external things that make us clean or unclean. And the Old Testament is full of examples like that. Uh, It's very interesting that what he's teaching here is that what defiles you is what comes out from your own heart. 
So when he says, when the prayer, when he teaches us to pray every day, deliver us from evil, I don't think he's talking about deliver us from other people or deliver us from some bad external guys. evil bad guys. That's right, baddies. Uh, I think he's talking about deliver us from the evil that's in our own heart and wants to come out our own mouth. That's what we need delivering from, right? That's, I think that's, that's a scripturally and theologically sound a conclusion there. Now, he says, deliver us from evil there. Why do I think that's associated? So in the prayer, we pray, deliver us from evil. Why would I say that to deliver us from evil was part of the Lord's purpose in coming into this world? Aha. Uh -huh. Why would I say that? I don't know why I say half the things I say, but let's look at Luke chapter 1 and look here at Luke 1. There's this marvelous little speech that I've, I've memorized recently. I, I really just love it. It's amazing. Uh, you may know the story that Zacharias and Elizabeth, uh, an angel appeared to Zacharias and he was struck dumb for a long time until his child was born. They were old in years and everything. And then this child was born and Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. And his prophecy is very, very interesting to me. Let's start at verse 67. Nice long chapter there. Now his father, whose father is that? John. That would be John the Baptist's father, okay. even though John was, you know, had only just been born. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... Okay, listen to this. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people mm. and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So what is this a prophecy of? This is obviously talking about the Messiah. It's talking about the Lord coming into the world, right? I think it's talking about Jesus. He's visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us. Interesting phrase. In the house of his servant David. Go on. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have, been, who have been since the world began. Yes, you've had prophets since the beginning, and they've been making these prophecies that the Lord's going to come into the world. And why would he come into the world? That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Oh, okay. So we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, that could just mean... Physical enemies could just be other people in this world. Go on. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, mm. the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Okay, that's the end of his, that part of his prophecy. Uh, so that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, what, who are those enemies? Because look at what it says about them, that somehow once you're delivered from these enemies, then you'd be in a position to serve the Lord without fear. Isn't that what it says? Mm -hmm. that, that, uh, that we might serve Him without fear, and it goes on to say, in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. What's that talking about? Is it just talking about getting rid of physical external enemies that pose a threat to your physical well-being so that you can serve, serve the Lord? Isn't it talking about an internal thing that the Lord is going to do? 
he's prophesying this by the Holy Spirit and saying that, that so I think these enemies are something spiritual. Okay, now what evidence do I have for that? Let's jump around again, shall we, good friends? If you go out the other side of the Gospel of John, through Acts, Romans, and Corinthians, through Galatians, and get to Ephesians, chapter 6, at the end of the Ephesians there, this is Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. I love this phrase, as some of you know, in verse 12. Well, let's start at verse 11 there, just to see what it's talking about. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Oh, explain that a little more. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, mm. but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Yes, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What, what that means to me is that what we're up against, like when Zacharias was prophesying just there, he's not talking about physical enemies. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not talking about flesh. Yes, there are such things as flesh and blood enemies and so on, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what it calls here principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, you know, hosts of spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, this is talking about the influence of hell on our minds, on our spirits, and so on. Let me show you a little graphic here that I quickly threw together before class. Um, I, you know, it's always impossible to draw these things in two dimensions, but I've got a thing on the flip chart for those of you getting the audio where I've just drawn a line, not quite down the middle, over towards the right side of the sheet from top to bottom. And on the right-hand side of that, I say the body. You know, that's our, our physical flesh. And then on the left-hand side, I have the mind in the middle. And the mind is subject to good influences from heaven, from above, and evil influences from hell affecting our minds. And so we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what affects us. That affects our heart, the mind. I could have written heart here as well. Uh, and then when Jesus says, out of the heart come these things, you know, adulteries, fornications, false witness, all those things that it listed, the things that the Ten Commandments are speaking against, right? That's, that comes from the heart. So hell affects our hearts and minds. And then those things flow out into our bodies into some sort of action if we let them come forth. You know, that's sort of a model of what's going on with evil. And so if we are to be delivered from this, we need to be delivered from this influence of hell on our hearts. Wouldn't that be what needs to happen, like not have that influence uh, affecting us so much that we act on those influences, but choosing good influences from heaven instead. Does that make sense? Uh, let's have a look at some other passages in this connection. Let's go back to the Psalms in the middle of your Bible there. I want to go to Psalm 5. The whole of Psalm 5 somehow struck me as being just 12 verses long, but it struck me as being relevant here. Hmm. Go ahead. 
Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Mm, that's nice, isn't it? For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. Uh-huh. Nor shall evil dwell with you. Oh, that's important. Nor shall evil dwell with you. God doesn't have evil in him and doesn't, you know, sort of repels evil with his presence. Go on. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. Mm, there's that interesting phrase. You find that in the New Testament too. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. In other words, that iniquity, especially people who do the evil thing, uh, remove themselves from the Lord by that action. Go on. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Mm. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Oh, well, isn't that interesting that it mentions enemies right there? And yet what it's been talking about is wickedness and evil. Go on, tell me more about enemies. Make your way straight before my face. What are the nature of these enemies? For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Oh, and in the old King James, their inward part is very wickedness. Wonderful <laughs> little phrase. Adverb modifying a noun. Didn't think you were allowed to do that. Their inward part is very wickedness. Uh, go on. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Mm, that's kind of nasty, isn't it? What a description. Okay, go on. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But. But let all those who rejoice who put. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. Aha. Uh -huh. That reminds me of this image on the board here that what, what you need is a shield, you know, something to block, block that influence of evil from flowing into the heart. I was particularly interested in that verse 9 about the, the, the mention of the inward part. I think it's the same thing Jesus is referring to as the heart. Uh, there are levels to us. And when the inward part is, is very wickedness um, or destruction or whatever you want to call it, uh, that's a picture of evil. That's, that's the situation we don't want to end up in, if at all possible. Uh, let's turn to the right. I'll jump, we're jumping all over the place. Let's go to Luke. 11, that's where we were just were before. But look at 11, verse uh, 39 there. Eleven. Sorry, I can't. No, sorry. Right. get there. Okay. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean. But your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Your inward part. Scripture teaches again and again that, there, that we are multi-leveled beings and uh, that you may be working on cleansing the outside of yourself, uh, but that inward part 
is full of wickedness. Uh, and then he goes on to, to talk about all that and so on. Uh, that's another passage that seems to be about uh, wickedness being within. Both of those last passages that we just read, talking about having a wickedness inside. That's what you don't want to have. And that's what we want the Lord to protect us from, be a shield to, to surround us so that we're not subject to that influence and that doesn't flow from our heart and mind out into our bodies and, and uh, cause harm to other people. Now, um, how did the Lord get into a position to be able to deliver us from evil? Uh, what did he have to go through? What he had to go, he had an inner self and an outer self. His inner self was divine. We've done other Bible studies on that. Don't have time to sort of demonstrate that right now. But his inner self was divine. But his outer self was human and had the same sort of evil heredity that we all get. Just evil is simply defined by Swedenborg as the inclination to love yourself more than you love God and to love the things of this world, wealth and that sort of thing, pleasures, more than you love your neighbor. Uh, Simply put, that, that's it. That's what hereditary evil is. And uh, that's what we're all subject to. Jesus was born with that too. Divine soul, but it was human on the outside. And so he had first to purify himself from evil. Something that distinguished him from all the rest of us is that he never acted out. He never brought that out into his body and embodied that evil. You know, we've, we've all done things that we regret or whatever, things, things that came flying out of your mouth or you say something, you lose your temper, you smash something, whatever, or, or subtle sneaky things or deceit, theft, whatever. We've all done things that, that we regret, and, uh, but not the Lord. He never did that. Look at, uh, turn to the right from where we are and go about in the middle of the epistles, you get the Hebrews, which is fairly long. Uh, hopefully you can find that without too much difficulty. And Hebrews chapter 4 is what I'm looking for here. And it's talking about Jesus and the nature of Jesus. And look at 4 verse 15. I like this very much here. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, uh -huh. but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Aha, you see, there's a very important piece of doctrine there that he is affected by the same kind of things. He was affected in this world. And he is affected by the same kind of things that affect us. And he was in all points tempted the same way we go through temptation. Temptation means a test. It's really an assault from hell. It it's, doesn't have too much to do with being tempted to have a chocolate milkshake or something like that. It, it's more like those horrible states where you just, oh, your, your thoughts are full of hell. You know, you're just, you're just full of evil desires or thoughts and stuff like that. Just an assault from the hells. And he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. He never acted out on it. He never uh, invited that. So he had to... Um, go through a process of purification in his outer self. Before he could help any of us, what does he say in the New Testament? You know, before you can get the speck out of someone else's eye, you have to get the beam out of your own eye. Um, 
Well, he had to go through, he had to get rid of that hereditary evil so that he was able to help everybody else when they go through that. Um, so it was very important that he be purified from evil first so that he could help us. He had to deliver himself from evil, which he did. And uh, look at passages like John 16, 33. End of John 16. We're jumping all over the place tonight. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Again, interesting thing to say. <coughs> if the waters of baptism just washed away all the sins and, and that was all gone... Why would he say to his disciples, in the world you will, it's like a guarantee, you are going to have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have difficulty in the, in the course of your life. But, what is he saying? But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Yes, you see, and this is late in his life. We're in, in this point in John, we're just in the last week of his life, and he has overcome the world. We saw earlier in... in um, isn't it in Matthew chapter 4, that's also in Luke chapter 4, is the uh, temptation of Jesus where he's there in the wilderness with Satan and Satan's trying to tempt him in various ways. That's just a little tiny picture in the literal sense of Scripture for temptations that went on relentlessly throughout Jesus' life. And he kept conquering evil, conquering evil, always without sin. He never acted out on it. And you see it's very visible even to the crucifixion He's forgiving everybody. He's still coming from love. Uh, he understands that Peter's going to, you know, deny him. And he knows that Judas is going to betray him and so on. Uh, he's still coming from love right to the very end. And look in 17 verse 4 right there. Is Jesus speaking again. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Yes, that's the work. And he's done that before the crucifixion. There's also another common misunderstanding, which is that the crucifixion is where he dealt with evil. No, he dealt with evil through his life, not in his death. In this, you know, his death was about the glorification of his human manifestation. Uh, he had already taken care of evil before that. He says, I have finished the work you gave me to do. That was the work of conquering all these different kinds of evils. It's quite amazing when I think about it because uh, it's a process that we go through of purification. Why would the Lord tell you in the Lord's Prayer to say every day, deliver us from evil? Every day, deliver us from evil. If that was a one-shot thing, why would He say that? It makes no sense. It's got to be a process of being delivered from evil. It has to be an ongoing process. In fact... Let's go to the Old Testament. Don't you love it? Let's look at, um, oh, I want to look at two passages in Job. Job comes to the left of the Psalms. Let's look at Job chapter 5, shall we? Mm. This speaks to the sense of a process that we have to go through to be purified from evil. It's not a quick bing, okay, boom. It's not like the Lord just says, I, what the heck, declare you free of evil. You know, that's not how that works. You know, he's not interested in sort of labeling you free of evil. 
He wants to get rid of that evil influence on our minds and hearts. He wants to actually spare us from adultery, from you know, all the other things in the human heart. Look at 5, let's start at verse 17. Amazing statement. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Oh yes, doesn't that feel good? Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> For he bruises, but he binds up. Okay. He wounds, but his hands make whole. This is about the process that he takes us through. And it's not that he causes the problems. James makes it very clear in the first chapter there that God does not cause temptation and so on. But he carries us through it. So he's binding us up and making us whole. And then look at verse 19 right there. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Deliver. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. Evil. Deliver and evil. Right there. He'll deliver you in six troubles. In seven, no evil will touch you. Hmm. Seven. And those of you familiar with Swedenborg's idea, of course, one is a seven means all, you know, it's everything. It's a whole enchilada kind of thing. So in seven... That's talking about a process. It didn't say one time and you'll be done. Woohoo, great. Evil's gone. Oh, that was nice. Now we're relieved of that. No, he says in six, and isn't six and seven, isn't that interesting? Six days of creation and the seventh day is the day where the Lord rests. And here there's six troubles, it calls it, right? And in seven, no evil will touch you. You know, it is possible for human beings to get to the point where evil has no hold anymore. The Lord is capable of delivering us from evil. He, he can do it. He can do it. But the way Scripture expresses it is not that it's a one-shot quick deal, but He says, be faithful unto death, that kind of thing. You know, if you can keep fighting the good fight all the way to the end, then the Lord will conquer hell for you and conquer it Permanently, you know, it will not trouble you anymore. Nevertheless, there's still a wrinkle. There's no plot so thick that it can't be thickened. Not in Scripture, anyway. Look at Job 15. Verse 15, Job 15, 15. If God puts no trust in his saints, and the heavens are not pure in his sight... How much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water. Oh, yes. Just, mm, yes, right. <laughs> Let's read verse 14, too, because that's fun. What is man that he could be pure? Yes. And he who is born of a woman that he could be righteous? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, how would we be cleansed? How could we ever become righteous? And then it says that God puts no trust in, in his, in his saints, I mean, the saints mean the holy ones, you know, uh, and yet he puts no trust in them. The heavens are not pure or not clean in his sight. Now, what does this mean? Is that, is that depressing? What uh, Swedenborg explains this as meaning is that there is an, an endless process of purification that we go through. If you sign up for it, all you got to do is start. In this world. But if you start, if you sign up for it in this world, it continues without end in the other world. There's this endless purification. It was striking me, I know it's sort of a freaky thought and everything, but it was striking me that if that's true, that the um, that the Lord 
thoroughly rid himself from evil in 33 years while he was here in this world. And yet that same project cannot be completed with us to all eternity. It's impressive to think of what the Lord did in 33 years, you know. And he didn't start when he was a day old. I mean, the, the project started in his teens, you know, kind of thing. But, but to that quickly, say 20 years, something like that, to be able to thoroughly eradicate evil from himself so that he would be able to take on all that the human race faces and be able to help us be purified from evil. Uh, that's why he did what he did. He did it to deliver us from evil. Uh, and yet he tells us to pray, deliver us from evil, because just being baptized isn't enough. You know, just hearing the word isn't enough. There's a whole process we have to go through. Let's go to the right. Uh, can you find your way back to Hebrews again there in the middle of the epistles? I want to go to Hebrews chapter 7 this time. Um, verse 25. Hebrews seven twenty-five. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Yes. Now, did it say that he has already saved everyone who believes in him. That isn't what it said, was it? No. What did it say? He is able to save. Oh, what he did in 33 years, which was plenty, was to get to the point of being able to save. I finished the work you gave me to do. He went through the whole process perfectly, in those few years while he was on this planet, so that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God by him. Uh, let's read the next two verses, shall we? For such a high priest was fitting for us. Who talking was, about Jesus. Who is holy, holy harmless, harmless, undefiled, mm. separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Higher than the heavens. Started out with his outer self was just a mere human being. Now higher than the heavens because he, the heavens are not pure. But Jesus is. He got higher than the heavens. He, he, he rid himself of all that evil. Go on. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. Isn't that interesting? The high priest would make a sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's. Isn't that what Jesus did? He came into the world and he rid himself. It wasn't a mere sacrifice. You know, he, he rid himself through this lengthy, intense process of regeneration. Rid himself of evil and then he can do it for the people. That's what he came to do. Go on. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. That's right. And yet people have much misunderstood that because they thought that that act just poof, poof, evil disappeared. Well, we can do a simple experiment. We can do a kind of a thought experiment to see whether that is true or not. Uh, have you ever seen evidence that there is any evil in the world? I've seen some evidence. I don't want to ruin your innocence or something, but I think there, there is some evil left in the world. Well, okay, well then maybe he just did it for the Christians. Okay, the Christians, have, there is no, isn't it amazing 
how Christianity has just no evil. People just don't mistreat. It's amazing how it just wipes the sins away and there's no evil among Christians. Isn't that amazing? Well, no, the evils are still... In fact, Swedenborg says, in many ways, the Christians are the worst. They're known by other people for their quarreling, drunkenness, and adultery. These are our chief achievements. Thank you. Um, uh, no, there, there's evil. Okay, so you just got to look it up in yourself, look it up in the human race. Uh, did that happen? You know, was sin just washed away? Boom, it's gone. No. What he did was he got to the point where he was able to save to the uttermost. He can save you to the uttermost. He can save you all the way. I think that's referring, is it not, friends, to that you go through six troubles and then the seventh evil doesn't bother you anymore. You know, he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. But look at that. That's a process. That's going to take you through those six states into that seventh state. That's what you have to get through to get to that point where it doesn't touch you anymore. Uh, the rest of that time, it certainly does touch you. You see this just as a side note when Paul decades after his baptism is still wrestling and saying, I'm sold under sin. I still have, you know, there's a law in my members that, you know, he, he still had this desire for evil and sin in his outer self. It didn't, didn't get taken away, but the Lord was still working with him to, to bring him through that. Mm. Okay. Oh, let's turn to the right from Hebrews there. Let's go to 1 John, shall we? We go through James and Peter, and we'll get to John. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3. Start at verse 7, shall we? Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, just as he is righteous. Yes, right. Um, in other words, what is this saying? It's saying what you do is what your nature is. It's a doing thing. There's another ugly rumor going around that the way that you live your life has no effect on your salvation. It's only a matter of your faith. You can't possibly, you know, follow the Ten Commandments and so on. But look at this teaching right here. This says, well, I'll tell you who's righteous and who isn't. Isn't the whole thing about becoming righteous? Uh, it's about being justified in the eye of God, eyes of God and so on. I'll tell you who's righteous is the person who's living a righteous life, you know. That's the way to do it, the way that Jesus did it. Read some more there. He who sins is of the devil. Oh. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Yes, look at that. There it says it again. If you want to see it as a purpose of his coming into the world, this is why it was manifested, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, he destroyed them first in himself. That's what the high priest has to do. He destroyed them in himself first. He, he got them thoroughly rejected from his outer self. Then he's in a position, then he's able to save the uttermost, all of us. But now there's something we need to do. We need to be saying that prayer, deliver us from evil. We need to be going through repentance, doing the process of repentance, self-examination, acknowledgement of the evil that's there, turning, laying it aside, learning to live a life without that in our lives. Go on. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. 
Yes, go on. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever oh, does, this is how you can tell. A handy test strip. How do you do it? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Oh, hmm. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Oh, I see. Not practicing righteousness and not loving others is a sign that you're not of God. Okay. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Wow, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Cain's works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So you see what I mean? Uh, again, this passage seems to speak about the way that evil or what's called the devil sometimes in Scripture affects the human heart and mind, and then that comes forth into action. You know, Cain's works were evil. That's why he killed his brother. Uh, but Abel was right. He was living a righteous life. He was a good, he was a good person. Is that, making, is that making sense? Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's read Luke. Let's go back to Luke and read one more thing from Luke 11. We've only been there twice tonight. Uh, let's have a look at Luke. Jesus gets into a discussion with people about how he is able to cast out evil spirits. And he poses various different reasons how he's able to do it. We talked about casting out demons last time. And just look at this um, verses 21 and 22 there. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. And now that's, there's a lot in there. That, that's a great statement. Didn't we read in Ephesians where it talks about we wrestle not with flesh and blood? It said, take on you the whole armor of God. There's an armor of God, and then there's the armor that evil uses to try to protect itself. And it says when a strong man is armed and he's guarding his palace, then what he owns is in peace. It's, it's, it's fine. But when someone stronger than him comes on him, and overcomes him. That's a picture of Jesus coming into the situation. He's stronger than the other person. And what does he do? He takes away his armor. This is not mentioned in parallel passages to this. But he takes away his armor, the armor he trusted in, and then plunders his spoils. What are those spoils? By the analogy, they are people. They're you and me. When we are set upon by evil, when we're obsessed with evil and so on, when we have evil in our hearts, uh, evil protects us. The armor that evil uses is falsity. It's false thoughts about ourselves. It's false teachings about God and so on. Uh, it uses falsity as its armor. But when someone stronger than that evil comes along and overpowers him, takes the armor away and plunders us, rescues us, deliver us from evil, break our relationship uh, with that evil. Not a simple process because we're connected to it through our hearts. So Jesus said before, what comes out of your heart 
you know, well, if you love adultery, you know, the, the Lord can't get in there and make you not love that if you love loving it, you know. You have to be willing to stop loving it and try to move away from the behavior and so on so the Lord can come in and protect you and break you from that. And it's an amazing thought that the Lord is willing to, that he's willing to protect us uh, and to keep purifying us throughout eternity. It, it boggles my mind. It's hard to think about. But it's amazing to think about in the afterlife that, that forever you would be in a situation where the Lord is showing you. And here's another little thing you could work on and get a little better at. You know, and every day the angels are praying, deliver us from evil. It, they, they've got that basic safety from it, but the Lord is still cleansing and purifying. It goes on forever. This is what uh, this is what Swedenborg teaches. It's such an amazing, amazing thought that that's what he's doing. So I um, want to talk a little bit uh, at the end here about. Um, tried to think of an analogy, and there are lots of different analogies, and I don't know what would work. But imagine someone asking you to take on just a huge, epic responsibility, like saying uh, you live by yourself, and someone comes and says there are 120 orphans. They're all under the age of three. Could you take care of them by yourself, please? You know, and you, oh man, I could never, I could never do that. How would, you know, you'd never, just be chaos. You couldn't do it. Or imagine, you know, we have all these refugee situations going on. It's a very difficult time in our world. And imagine a town of, you know, 10,000 people being asked to take on 40 million refugees or something. You know, and you're just saying, there's only 10,000 of us, you know. We can't, we can't pause. It's just overwhelming. What was it like for Jesus to be asked to take on the whole human race? What was that like? What was it like for Jesus to be asked to take on everybody with all our baggage regardless of who we are, and to take us on, not for a limited period of time or just as a bridge situation until we can find another solution, but forever, to take on everybody forever. And doesn't it say in Luke that he is kind to the unthankful and the evil? Uh, he is blessing. He is carrying the hells, loving them. They hate him. They turn away from him. They can't stand him. And he's just taking care of them and holding them forever. It's unbelievable what he took on. Would anybody else in their right mind have ever said yes to that assignment? It's a picture of the fact that he was coming from divine love, an infinite love for the whole human race. Only the divine love would be foolish enough to say yes to that outrageous request. I want you to support the entire human race forever. What do you say? 
And the Lord said, yes. And only the divine wisdom could possibly know what we all need and help us to go from wherever we are, angel in the heavens for 100,000 years, and he knows, well, here's the next step that I've got. How about a challenge? I've got a challenge for you. See if you can deal with this. Or see if you can do that even a little better than you did before. And work with the most hopeless people, the most evil people, everybody trying to still forever trying to save us all, trying to get us to move from A to B, ameliorate our situation in hidden ways, in overt ways, trying to deliver the entire human race as individuals and collectively to save us, to deliver us all from evil. Only the divine love would ever take that on. And only the divine wisdom could ever know what to do, what to do for us all. We're hopeless, you know? Only the Lord knows how to carry us forward and to, to bring us on. So uh, in summation, in the world, Jesus gained the power. He gained the ability to deliver us from evil. He purified his own outer self. He atoned for his own evils. He didn't even have sins, but he atoned for his, his you know, he, he dealt with that. He went through the whole repentance process only so purely and beautifully that it's called the glorification process. And he positioned himself to be able to save to the uttermost all and any of us whenever we decide we'd like to avail ourselves of what he has offered. Now, my friends, it's our turn to respond. Thank you very much, and would you care to join me in a closing prayer? <clears throat> Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for bowing the heavens and coming down into this world. Thank you for the unseen work that you did of purifying your lower self, conquering evil in every conceivable different way, arming yourself with the power so that you are able to save us, able to deliver us from evil. There are so many hidden ways that you do this that we know nothing about. We don't even know enough to be grateful for what you're doing for us, Lord. But we know a few simple principles about repentance, about laying aside evil, about trying to be good to our neighbor, trying not to channel hell into other people's lives. We thank you for the work that you've done. Thank you for your divine love. And thank you for your amazing divine wisdom. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. So he can indeed deliver us from evil.